Well, good morning, church. Man, what a fun morning to be in here together today. So if you're in the room today, let me hear from you. Those of you who are watching online, thanks for joining in this morning as well. My name is uh, Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horb, and it's an honor today to be able to stand on stage to open God's word together, that he might teach us something new and transform us into the people that he wants us to be. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning to open up as we go through Mark chapter four. Now, nearly 14 years ago, I walked into McAllister's Deli and was stunned by the beauty that stood across from me at the counter named Jenna Owens. I walked in because two of my best friends actually begun working at that fine establishment not long before that. And so I would go work out typically and I would go in there and I would get a sweet tea and a cookie. I was told already at nine o'clock, it's counterintuitive, whatever. I would go in there, grab a cookie, some tea, hang out, talk to my friends and my buddies. But this one particular day I walked in and Jenna was standing there. Now I hadn't met her at this point in time, we'd never talked before. And so I walked up to the counter and I was uh, standing there in the midst of her aura. I didn't know what to do, exactly how to start a conversation. I was there to order a spud and a sweet tea, but I felt like I had to say something else. So I kind of uh, did the only thing I could think of in my head at that point in time. And I said to her, hey, um, look at my spider bite. (laughs) And uh, a couple days previous, I was attacked in the night by an unknown arachnid and it had gotten a little bit gnarly. And so I felt like it was, like a topic of conversation um, that might have some interest. It, she wasn't interested, and she just kind of smiled and flatly laughed, and I was like, ah, and I cringed on the inside. And it was our first conversation. And to be very honest with you, if I could go back, I would have started the conversation in a whole different kind of way, first impression kind of thing. I might have said something like, hey, I'm Trevor, or something, <laughs> and maybe eased into the spider bite conversation or something, and Actually, a couple days later, I ended up in Lexington Medical Center to have to make sure I wasn't going to die from the spider bite, and I made it, which is wonderful. And I also found that uh, my wife was incredibly, apparently, um, won over by my manly uh, strength to overcome a brutal attack like that, so she married me, which is awesome. Now, to be clear, that was a first impression. You know, I'd, I'd never met her before, I'd never talked to her before, and if I could go back, I'd probably change the way that I went about it. Um, and all of us in the room probably have had some kind of first impression that went really, really well. And you walked away being like, wow, like, they're really nice. And um, I felt like I handled myself really well. And some of us probably have first impressions that you walk away, you're like, oh man, if I could redo that, I would redo it in a heartbeat. Here's why. The, the truth is, uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You never get a second chance to make, make a first impression. You meet somebody new, this is your one chance to hopefully carry yourself in such a way where they wanna know more. Continue the conversation, perhaps. My goal was to carry myself in such a way inside of McAllister's Deli that Jenna was like, this guy's intriguing. I did that, I think. Um, But eventually, we got married, and the rest is all good. We've been in the midst of a sermon series called Encountering Jesus. We've been working our way through the book of Mark. This particular gospel is the shortest of all the gospels. It's kind of a fast-paced introduction to who Jesus is, and we're getting a chance through the eyes of those who first encountered him to see the way they responded to meeting Jesus for the first time. So for the next eight weeks, technically the next five weeks, we'll be looking at all these different ways that people encounter Jesus and how they responded to him. Here's my concern. I'm afraid that many of us in the room this morning, we, we have heard so much about Jesus. Maybe for some of us, we've been in the church for a very, very long time. We're like familiar with flannel graph Jesus in Sunday school. We've heard about him for so long. We've heard all about him. We've read the Bible ourselves. We've been in Sunday school. We've done confirmation. We've been in Bible studies. And I'm afraid that we are so familiar with him that we've actually lost the wonder and the essence of who he is. 
And our goal during this series is to hopefully allow ourselves one more time to have a first impression with who Jesus is and allow ourselves to walk away saying, I want to know more. I want to experience him more. We're allowing ourselves to have first interactions, first takeaways. You know, in chapter one and chapter two, week one and week two, we've gone through the first part of Mark and we've been learning that in Mark, the writer is giving to us what's called a messianic secret. Is that this Jesus has come to unfold the kingdom of God within the world and at first it's a bit unclear. Every person that is encountering Jesus for the first part of Mark is unclear on who this guy actually is, what he's actually come here to do. It's a mystery. In fact, Jesus is healing and restoring certain people, and oftentimes at the beginning of Mark, he says to them, don't tell anybody. It was just taking place. You keep this to yourself. I wonder why. Like, why is this happening this way? Other than the fact this messianic secret is unfolding at just the right time, the way Jesus has designed for it to unfold. So, so far in chapter one, we learned when Jeff was in here preaching, that the very beginning, Mark says, this is the gospel, this is the good news about Jesus in the world. This is good news, not just for you, but also for the person sitting next to you. It is good news for all people. And Jesus embodies it in the way that he walks, lives, moves, and breathes. Last week, we talked about how we discovered and encountered Jesus in a new way. We encountered him as divine. See, Jesus came and he ends up forgiving the sins of a paralyzed man brought to him through the roof, a bit unconventional. And then to prove that he indeed is God, he then heals the paralyzed man. So these are the first impressions of who Jesus is. And for every person in scripture, it leaves them in multiple different ways. Some are amazed, some are astonished, some are intrigued, some are opposed to what Jesus is doing. And it begs the question for us this morning, what's your first impression of him? How how does he leave you feeling? Do you wanna know more? So this morning, we are in Mark chapter four as the story continues. Mark chapter four, verse one and two says this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that had gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in the boat off of the lake and all the people who had come gathered on the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Everybody say parables. And in his teaching, he said the following. So chapter two, verse one, Jesus is here. There's a a major theme you'll see all throughout the book of Mark and the other gospels as well. Jesus, everywhere he goes, crowds of people come to where he is. Now this time, he's not in Capernaum teaching within a a household like he was last week we came together and the house was so full, piled, people were outside listening in through the window. This time, he's on the lakeside and such a large crowd comes around him, the Bible says that he actually gets into a boat and he pushes off from the shore so that he can teach the people who have gathered there along the shore. Potentially, this is just a little bit of information to let us know that Jesus' voice potentially is carrying across the water better for those to hear him so everyone has a chance to be able to encounter him and experience him and hear what he has to say. Verse two says this though, that as Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching them in a very specific way. He's using what are called Parables, parables. Now, a parable is a simple yet profound story that is used to illustrate a spiritual truth. It's a simple yet profound way and story of giving spiritual truth that impacts our lives. 
So Jesus is teaching them through parables. We have modern day parables too. It's very similar to the way we experience them. Uh, a couple of different stories you might know. The first one is the story of the boy who cried wolf. Everyone familiar with the boy who cried wolf? So you have this young shepherd boy who's telling the townspeople about this wolf who doesn't exist and he's scaring them over and over and over again. And then eventually, guess what happens? A real wolf shows up. So when he calls for the townspeople again, guess what they do? Nothing. They've heard it over and over again. And now this last time when it's actually true, they don't listen. Here's the moral of this parable. If you are someone who becomes known as a liar, then even when you're telling the truth, guess what? No one's gonna believe you. Another story. The tortoise and the hare. Now, familiar with this story? Not like hare, like the rabbit, okay? Tortoise and the hare. And in this story, you have a tortoise who's incredibly slow. You have a rabbit or a hare who's incredibly fast. They decide to race one another, as you do. And they start racing, and the rabbit is so confident in himself that he's so much faster than this slow tortoise that eventually he takes a nap in the middle of the race. Now, as you know, the tortoise continues on diligently, just taking one foot in front of the other until eventually his dedicated attitude wins him the race. And the moral of the story is this, pride and laziness will lead us to ruin, but a steady determination will lead us to victory. These parables are stories that when you hear them, you don't even have to have the moral given to you. You become so familiar with the story and it intrigues us perhaps for the first time you hear it in a way that you're like, what does this mean? How can I apply this to my life? And hopefully these morals become a part of who we are. So Jesus approaches his teaching in the gospels in the same kind of way. He points to flowers and fields and tells stories. He points to sheep and flocks or coins and pockets to reveal to the listener a deep and profound truth about our spiritual state. Jesus is a storyteller and using the familiar within our life to be able to communicate the unfamiliar. You see, as Jesus is unfolding this throughout the book of Mark, we have the, the luxury of having the scriptures all before us. We're looking at all this at hindsight. We've been told certain things, maybe a little context, but for the first listeners, as Jesus is telling these stories, this is so foreign, so other. The idea of the kingdom of God coming to earth and transforming all things and making it all right. How do you tell somebody about that? How do you give it to them straight? Jesus knows he can't. They would never be able to hold that, understand that, grasp that. So what Jesus does is he tells stories. He tells parables with significant spiritual truth. Jesus is a master storyteller. He's a master storyteller. And it's not really that much different from our culture. Everybody loves a good story, don't we? Around the campfire with friends, telling stories, laughing. When your toddler is trying to go to bed at night, what do you do? You lay down, you tell stories until they fall asleep. We're a culture of stories. The movies we love, the books we love to read, the music we love to listen to. It's all story and it does something to us. We love it. And so Jesus, within the Gospels, when he tells these stories, sometimes it causes intrigue. Sometimes it causes anger. Sometimes it causes hope, conviction, transformation. And his ability to communicate in these kind of ways as a storyteller is amazing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus finishes telling two stories. The first story in Matthew chapter 7 that he tells is actually about a tree and some fruit. And he's communicating to his listeners, listen, the way you know what kind of tree it is is by the fruit that it produces. So your thoughts, actions, and words that come out of your life will prove who you actually are. 
Then he tells another story about two different homes. that are, One's built on a stone and a rock, and one is built on sand. A storm comes. One survives. The other one crumbles. And Jesus is saying, build your life on a solid foundation. Otherwise, when difficulty comes, it will never last. So he tells these two stories in Matthew chapter 7, and the listeners to Jesus, here's what they say about him. We have never seen a preacher and a teacher like this before. He preaches and teaches with authority, as if he's bringing this from a whole other place. Jesus is a master storyteller, and it impacts people's lives. As I came through Columbia International University, go Rams, um, my two mentors that I had all throughout college was a guy named David Olshine, you may know him, and a guy named Huli Goddard. And they are two of my professors when I went to school at CIU. And I will never forget listening to them teach in the classroom. Sometimes they would invite me along with them when they would go teach or preach at some kind of youth event or something. And I remember going and listening to them tell stories and thinking to myself, I want to tell stories like that. Like, I want to be able to take, like, the normal mundane things of life and be able to show how it's, it's much more important than just this. There's something more significant going on. I want to be able to take tragedy, struggle, pain of my life and be able to offer it to someone else in a story form that someone else could be transformed, encouraged, pushed forward the way they do. So I remember very early on listening to them being like, I want to be able to emulate that. I want to do that. They were so good at telling story. All they were doing is emulating Jesus. You see, Jesus knew the human condition, and so he utilized story and parables to get past our minds and our intellect to get to our hearts and our emotion. So he used story. So he tells a story about a wayward son who goes off and squanders everything of his father's, but then he finally comes home. He tells a story about a sheep who gets lost and he's rescued by the shepherd. He tells a story about a treasure that's buried in a field that gets found and it's so valuable. He tells a story about a massive banquet that everybody's invited to. Nobody comes, so they go to the streets and invite everybody. These are great stories, all in the Gospels, that Jesus tells to get past our mind and to get to our heart. He's a master storyteller. So in Mark, Jesus tells this particular story in chapter four, verse three. Here's what he says. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But with the, when the sun came up, the plants, they were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So Jesus is telling parables, he's telling stories, and here's the story he tells. He tells a story about a farmer who's, who's spreading seed all over the ground to be able to produce a crop of some kind. You have to understand who he's talking to to really appreciate this. You see, Jesus is communicating to a group of people who were an agrarian society. They were farmers. So those who are listening to Jesus would have had a, a plot of, next to their house. They would you know, farm their own food for their family to provide or potentially farm food to barter, trade, or to sell to be able to provide for their family. They understand the importance of a farmer being able to get the seed that he is sowing to actually grow. It is crucial. 
So as he's telling this story, he's talking to a group of people who would have understand this 100%. It was a part of their life. So for some of us, I mean, the closest we ever get to a farm is like Publix. But for these folks, they lived this life. So Jesus is taking the familiar to communicate something unfamiliar. It's like a farmer. He goes out and he, and he throws the seed everywhere to produce a crop. Now, as the story goes, this farmer who sows all of this, it, the seed falls in multiple locations. And when it falls, it produces in only one of the four locations that it falls. Now, if you're someone listening to the story originally, this is a tragedy because you know this farmer is relying upon this seed to produce a crop. And of all the seed that he throws, three of the locations are unfit for growth. And there's only one that produces 30, 60, 100 times what he throws onto the ground. This story would have evoked emotion from those who were listening. It was a tragedy with a little bit of joy at the very end of the story. And then Jesus says this at the very end. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Here's what he means. He's saying, I have tried to communicate this to you in a way that you can receive it. And perhaps you may not have it just pass through your ears but instead it might be something you receive into your hearts. This is, after all, the difficulty of storytelling. Storytelling doesn't work, whether you're a parent with your children, whether you're telling a story to a friend or you're Jesus communicating to a crowd. If you can't make it understandable, then storytelling is worthless. So what Jesus is doing is this. This story is an instrument of education for those who are essentially children in character and maturity. Jesus is using this story because these folks can't possibly grasp what he's trying to say. So he's got to give it to them in a way that they can. If you're a parent in the room, you know what this is like, right? To communicate to your children, maybe the kind of love you have for them. I mean, we can sit down and say, listen, um, sons, daughter, your mother and I love you so much. We love you so much that by the time you're 18, we will probably spend $100,000 or more on each and every one of you. That's how much we love you. We love you so much that when you were born, we let you invade our household. You came in and you, you made a mess of every carpet, things from your body and also things from cups that we would give you. And we had to change the carpet multiple times. That's how much we love you. We bought you clothing that would last for 37 days before we had to buy another piece of clothing for you as well. That's how much we love you. We, we can say that, is that true? Yes. Would they receive that? They have no idea how much $100,000 is, period. They don't care that their clothes got too, too small. They'll wear them anyway. They, they can't receive it in that kind of way. So here's what we do. We tell them story. Let me show you how much I love you. There's a book that we have read for each one of our kids growing up called Guess How Much I Love You. Anybody familiar in the room with this book? Classic. Each one of my children, we would read this book so many times to them to communicate this kind of love that we have for them. I wanna read it for you this morning. Guess how much I love you. Little nut brown hair who was going to bed held tight onto big nut brown hair's very long ears. He wanted to be sure that big nut brown hair was listening. Guess how much I love you, he said. Oh, I don't think I could guess that, said big nut brown hair. This much, said little nut brown hair, stretching out his arms as wide as they could go. Big nut brown hair had even longer arms, but I love you this much, he said. Hmm, that's a lot of love, thought little nut brown hair. 
I love you as high as I can reach, said little nut brown hair. I love you as high as I can reach, said big nut brown hair. That is very high, thought little nut brown hair. I wish I had arms like that. Then little nut brown hair had a good idea. He tumbled upside down and reached up the tree trunk with his feet. I love you all the way to my toes, he said. And I love you all the way to your toes, said big nut brown hair, swinging him up over his head. I love you as high as I can hop, said laughed little nut brown hair, bouncing up and down. But I love you as high as I can hop, smiled Big Nut Brown Hair, and he hopped so high that his ears touched the branches above. That's good hopping, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. I wish I could hop like that. I love you all the way down the lane as far as the river, cried Little Nut Brown Hair. I love you all the way across the river and over the hills, said Big Nut Brown Hair. That's very far, thought Little Nut Brown Hair. He was almost too sleepy to think anymore. Then he looked beyond the thorn bushes out into the big dark sky. Nothing could be farther than the sky. I love you right up to the moon, he said, and closed his eyes. Oh, that's far, said Big Nut Brown Hair. That's very, very far. Big Nut Brown Hair settled Little Nut Brown Hair down into his bed of leaves. He leaned over and kissed him goodnight. Then he lay down close by and whispered with a smile, I love you right up to the moon and back. Right? something about reading a book like this to your children to communicate this. Here's how much I love you. I'm gonna share it with you in a way that you can receive it. My kids are like, great story, thanks, Dad. I'm like weeping in the bed next to them. (laughs) Here's why. I fully grasp and understand the kind of love that I have. They don't. You see, Jesus, he fully grasps and understands what this kingdom of God is all about, what he's come to do. And his disciples and those who are listening in the crowds, they don't fully get it. So he's got to give it into it a way, to them to it a way where they can understand it. So he tells them story. He tells them story. There's something that happens when we communicate truth through story. Now, some people would look at what Jesus does here and and say communicating in this kind of manner, it's like dumbing down, it's watering down, it's insulting to those who are listening. And I I would fully disagree. I think what Jesus is doing here is strategic and it's masterful. And after Jesus is teaching, many of those who are standing there listening are completely confused with what this story, this parable has to do. So they ask him to explain. And here's what Jesus says. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So everyone's like, Jesus, great story, but like, what does that have to do with anything? Can you explain it to us? And Jesus says that this is the secret of the kingdom. Remember this messianic secret that Mark is telling us about, letting us in on a little bit by little bit? This is what Jesus is talking about. He uses a Greek word, mysterion. It literally means, translated in English, as mystery or secret. Jesus says this information, people are beginning to awaken uh, awaken to it, understand it bit by bit, and I'm telling it to you in a way that you can grasp it, little bit by little bit. But Jesus, in that passage, he quotes Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 6, verse 9. In Isaiah 6, 9, the context of that would have been essentially Jesus saying, but there are some who will hear this truth through this story and willfully decide we don't want it. They will choose to not have the ears to hear or the eyes to see. 
what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. So he offers it in secret. He offers it in a way they can grasp at that point in time. Some will miss it and some will see it and their faith will show which one is true. See, I think this is so important because when we wrestle with story, the reason Jesus does that, when we wrestle with story and we understand it for ourselves, it causes it to be more valuable to us. When we discover this for ourselves, it's more valuable. Think, think of a, all the teachers here in the room. There's something different that happens than when you give your student the answer and when you teach them how to think. And when they can discover it for themselves, it's valuable to them because it's theirs. And it makes sure their faith is not something they've inherited or been given so that one day they walk away from it and give it up altogether. This is why Jesus teaches in story. Now, there might be two different reasons why he says this. The eyes to see, the ears to hear. Number one, potentially it's a form of mercy because we are all accountable for what we know, what we have been given. So potentially Jesus is giving this in story form so as they wrestle with it, they're not even really understanding until they've wrestled enough and then when they understand, they can embrace it fully. It's mercy because you're accountable to what you know. Secondly, perhaps Jesus does this because Jesus knows there's a cadence and an unfolding that this kingdom of God has to have. It can't happen too fast because if it does, my arrest and my crucifixion may happen before the time is right. It can't happen too slow because potentially I'll be arrested and crucified and people won't fully understand quite yet. So Jesus has a way that he's trying to work this thing out. He knows exactly what he's doing and it becomes more evident throughout the book of Mark. Perhaps this is why he says it in this way. But a mystery in the Bible is not something that is unknowable. Any mystery, any secret of the kingdom is not unknowable. It's actually accessible, but it is something that must be revealed. It has to be revealed. So when Jen and I were pregnant with our first child, we were gonna tell our families. And so we had a great plan. We invited my mom and dad uh, to sushi over in Irma. We had this place we used to go to all the time. And we went and we sat down. We ordered our food. Before the food came, we had this little blue bag. And so we picked it up and we slid it across the table to my mom. We're like, hey, we got a gift for you. And she's like, oh, that's so sweet. And so she took the bag and I remember she reached into the bag. When she pulled out the first thing, it was a pacifier that had, it was a Gamecock pacifier. We're like, listen, we're gonna need this for next season, ha, ha, ha. Little did I know I need it for like this season for me, but then it was about next season. <laughs> this for next season, huh? And she was like, oh, that's so cute. Didn't even register. So she handed to my dad, she's like, look, a pacifier. And so then she looked in there, my mom doesn't talk like that, by the way. But she reached inside and there was a little tiny shirt and she pulled it out. And this shirt said, who needs Santa when you have grandma? So my mom reads it and she's like, oh yeah. What? <laughs> no. We're like, yes. So we're having a baby. We, we had to reveal this a little bit. And we wanted to give it in certain kinds of ways, these pieces and parts, so they discovered for themselves and there was such joy. There's a baby coming in the family. This is what Jesus is doing. This mystery, this secret of the kingdom, it is being revealed, certainly throughout the book of Mark, but all the gospels revealed little bit by little bit so people can grasp it, fully understand it, and embrace it with their whole lives. See, the scriptures tell us that God is focused on disclosing his love, mercy, and grace to us. From creation to incarnation, they are meant to point us to the God of the universe. 
like a pacifier, like a t-shirt, like a children's heartwarming story, each and every little piece prepare our hearts to receive the good news that Mark has set out to tell us about from the very first chapter. Each and every piece. So why this story? Why does Jesus tell this one? Why a farmer? Why seed? Why soil? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus answers this in the next verse. Here's what he says in Mark chapter four, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown into them on the hardened path. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hears the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, though, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So Jesus says, let me explain. First, the seed is the gospel. Jesus said, this seed is the word. What this farmer is out tossing onto this soil is the good news that God loves the world so much that he has come to rescue it, to make it right, to restore all things that have been perverted and broken. You see, every seed this farmer throws onto the soil is full of potential. Within every seed that is planted, it has everything it needs to produce a crop and a harvest. The seed has all that it needs to produce whatever it's meant to produce. The same is true for the gospel. Jesus says, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, the love of God provides for us all that we need to experience a full life in Christ. It's all there. It has all the potential. But like a seed, it starts small. So as this farmer sows the seed, the seed is placed in the ground. It begins to grow in the dark under the soil. There's no sign of what's going on for a few days until eventually it breaks through the surface. When the seed of the gospel takes root in our hearts and in our life, the same is true. Sometimes you don't see what God's up to right away. Sometimes it takes time for God to begin to grow this from something small to something big. And though our faith may begin small, it may blossom into incredible transformation. You see, it's like a seed. Seed is the good news. It's the gospel. It's the word. But then Jesus says the seed that is thrown and sown about by this farmer, it falls on four different locations, three of which are unfit for growth. And only one produces 30, 60, 100 times what is sown. These, These four different types of soil, the first three are this. A hardened heart, a troubled heart, and a distracted heart. A hardened heart. You see, a hardened heart can happen in multiple different ways. Perhaps you have heard this good news of the gospel so many times, you've rejected it so many times that eventually your sensitivity to what this gospel means begins to dull. You become numb. 
and you harden your heart to what God is trying to place within it. Or perhaps life has been so difficult, so painful, so hard, such a struggle that you decide I will never allow anything else into my heart because things have already hurt it so much. So because of that, we harden ourselves. We numb ourselves. I learned to play guitar when I was in high school. In fact, when I first came to this church, I used to lead worship for students. Uh, I would lead worship and I would pray, take my guitar off, and then I would step down and begin to teach every single week. I learned to play guitar in the Dominican Republic. I had no friends really there for six months. My family was there. Everybody spoke Spanish. I did not. So I learned to play guitar while I was there. My mom played guitar. And I remember first starting to play guitar, how difficult it was, how, how much my fingers hurt pushing down the chords of the strings over and over and over again. But I was so determined to play guitar that I would keep playing no matter how much it hurt. Eventually, my fingers would actually bleed from how hard I was pushing on the strings, but just keep going, keep going. But eventually, if you're someone who plays any kind of string instrument, you create what? A callus, right? You keep playing, you push through, and eventually your fingers produce a callus to the point where it no longer hurts. That's great for playing guitar, but not only does it not hurt anymore, but you lose all sensitivity. You can't feel a thing. So Jesus says this first place where the seed falls is like a path that's been trodden. It's it's a hardened path. And a hardened heart is a barren wasteland. Nothing can take root there. Nothing can grow. So he says that the birds come, they snatch it up. The evil one takes away this good news before it can ever begin to grow within our hearts. Secondly, Jesus talks about a troubled heart. He said, this soil is full of rocks. And a seed falls here and it begins to grow right away because the soil is shallow. But because it's so shallow, there's no deep roots. And so the rocks get in the way. The sun comes up, scorches it, and kills it. But I love what he says at the beginning. It's first received with joy. Because there's no deep roots, it dies. I'll be very honest with you. One of the hardest things about serving in this church for the past 16 years has been investing in the lives of students for much of my ministry career. And one of the most painful things is to have a Chi Alpha weekend, a summer camp, a mission trip, whatever it might be, and to see students who experience the gospel, encounter Jesus for the first time, and receive it with joy. But then there's rocks that are left within their life that keeps the roots from growing deep. And what Jesus says, when there's no deep roots and troubles come, particularly persecution because of our faith, We give up on it. The sun comes up, scorches it, and it dies. It can't grow there. The last heart that Jesus talks about, sorry, the second to last heart is the distracted heart. This place, the seed is sown, but there's other things that are left to grow up alongside the seed as well. Thorns, weeds. So the seed begins to grow, it takes root, but as everything else grows up around it, eventually Jesus says it chokes out the crop, the harvest that's beginning to grow. Jesus names these. He says, these weeds, these thorns that are allowed to grow, they are worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth and love of things. It's a distracted heart. And Jesus says a distracted heart will steal our energy, time and attention and affection away from the things that truly matter. It will choke out the growth of what God is wanting to do through that seed that has landed there. But Jesus talks about one more type of soil that the seed falls in. He calls it the good soil. Some translations say the fertile soil. And the seed that falls in that location, it takes root 
and it grows. You see, in fertile soil, it's been cultivated. The ground's been broken up. The rocks have been taken out. The weeds and the thorns have been pulled up. And it's ready to produce a harvest and a crop. And here's what the Bible says, some 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Here's what that means. Jesus says, when the gospel takes root in your life and it produces more, it's gonna affect lives around you. This is not just for you. This kingdom is not just a secret for you to know. It's meant to be something for everyone. And when your heart is fertile soil, when your heart is good soil, that gospel can take root and grow and produce a harvest that will affect people even around you. Think about your wife, think about your husband, think about your children. Think about your neighborhood, your friends at school. Think about your coworkers. Those are the ones who benefit from what God is doing within you. But I believe the final and most important thing that Jesus is saying in this story is this. It's not a problem with the seed. It's a problem with the soil. It's not a problem with the seed. The seed's always good. The gospel is always good. It's a problem with the soil, the place that it falls. But notice this, the farmer in the story, does he care where the seed goes? No, he's throwing it everywhere. Seed falls in the first location, the second, the third, and the fourth. He doesn't just go to the fertile soil and throw seed on the fertile soil. He throws it on every piece of soil. Why? Why would he waste it like that? He's not wasting it. He's not wasting it. You know why? The farmer knows that your soil of your heart can change in a moment. You are under no obligation for your heart to be hard tomorrow like it is today. You are under no obligation to have your heart distracted and troubled tomorrow like it is today. You can cultivate that heart, create the kind of environment that seed can grow. You see, this seed, you don't make it grow. Guess who does? God, the good farmer. He's the one who grows this. But your heart is an environment that you can create where that seed can take root and produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. It's not a problem with the seed. It's a problem with the soil. Lastly, when you read these parables, these stories from this master storyteller within the gospels, Jesus is so good at telling these stories. And almost every time at the very end of the story, here's how it ends. It ends kind of open-ended. He never puts a nice tight bow on it. For instance, the story of the prodigal son, right? There's a story about this son. He takes his father's wealth. He wastes it all. Eventually he comes back home. The father welcomes him with grace. But the older son is ticked off because the father offered grace to the younger son. So the end of the story goes like this. The father and the older son are outside the party that they're having for the younger son. And the father says to the older son, come into the party. He's like, no, you've never even given me a goat to party with my friends. It's a weird thing to say. That's what he says. But here's what the father responds. Everything I have has always been yours. And that's it. The story doesn't really resolve. You, don't, you would think you would hear like the older son be like, you know what, gee whiz, you're right, dad. Let's go into the party and we'll, we'll hang out for a bit. That's not what happens. Jesus says, everything that I have is yours. That's it. It's as if Jesus is leaving the story open-ended so that you have to answer the question, which son are you? 
Are you the son who comes home and receives the grace? Or are you the one who's bitter because God is so grace-filled towards others? And then take this story. How does it end? Jesus says this farmer throws seed in all these different locations. Three places it doesn't grow. The third place it produces 30, 60, 100 times. That's it. It says, if Jesus is saying through this parable, through this story, which kind of soil is your heart? Is it hardened? Is it distracted? Is it troubled? Or is it fertile soil for the gospel to take root? You are under no obligation to have your soil the same tomorrow as it is today. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for being such a master storyteller that you offer us this truth of the kingdom in such a way that we can grasp it, that we can receive it. And I pray, Father, this morning that every single one of us would see that you are so good, you are so loving, so kind, so gracious, that you allow the seed of this gospel to go to every location, that we might partner with you in creating an environment where it can grow. So God, I ask in the name of Jesus that every heart here this morning, no matter what it's like right now, I pray for the hardened hearts here this morning that you would break that soil up. I pray for the distracted and the troubled hearts this morning that you would take every stone, every thorn, you would pull it up, that you might produce within us a fertile, good soil where the good news of Jesus can grow within our life and not just affect us, but pour into the lives of those around us. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. And thank you for revealing to us the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God and entrusting it to us. So Lord, we love you today and we need you. It's in your name that we pray and everyone said, amen.